Blog Talk Radio. On top of the state house No doubt baby You know how we do Cause every time that we climb We shine Good morning Blog Talk listeners Tom Hayes here in Boston, Massachusetts USA Beantown And a rather nice day uh, And we have a great, great, great show today We have people from, from all over from Not only from the East Coast But the West Coast Our distinguished guest I am honored, honored, honored To have her on to read her credentials would take the whole show. Uh, I am absolute in awe of this woman, of her achievements, which she has done for not only for children, but for the toy industry and for play in general. Uh, Dr. Toy, Dr. Stevan Auerbach. Did I say Stevan right, Stevan? That's right. Hi. Uh, well, welcome to the show, and we always like to, uh, yeah, we always like to give our guest a, there we go. A simulated but sincere round of applause. And we have two other. Let me introduce the other guests so we can really start the coffee hour. Um, Patricia, are you on? I'm on. Hi there, everybody. Hi. This is she, ladies and gentlemen, from Long Island. And right here from in Boston as well, a lady I met the other day is very charming and very busy in the music and teaching world, uh, Liz Buchanan. Liz? Hi. Good morning, Tom. It's great to be on the show with you. Well, oh, I'm Tom? always amazed. Oh, it's very yes. wonderful to be with all of you. We're all up early to talk about play and toys and music and kids and families, and it's wonderful to be with you all. And, and Stefan, oh. this is Patricia. I just want to introduce my husband, Stephen, close oh, yes. enough to your name. He's also on the line. Hi, everyone. Hi, Hi Liz. Stephen. Hi, Hi, Hi Stephen. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Great. Well, uh, Dr. Toy, I want to start off with a little jest at the first. Aren't you a little grown up to be still playing with toys? Oh, no, I don't think we should ever be <laughs> grown up to play with toys. I think we need to exactly. have grandmothers and grandfathers and parents playing with their children, and we need to play at the office. We need to be remembering that play is most important for everyone at all the time. So we need That's time right. and, to you know, stress reduction whether it be listening to music, playing ball, having fun, playing with a hula hoop, you know, getting exercise, jump ropes. Um, it's good for everybody. Well, I'm just amazed that, you know, somebody, and one of the things we like to do on the show is find out how people can live their dreams. And obviously, you've gotten written over 15 books about children. Is that right? 
Uh, yes, and three about toys and play. And one of the things I love to do with people is have you think about the toys that you played with as children and how important it is and how quickly we can remember our memories of what we played with as children. And that's how I start my book, which is now going into another revision and update. Uh, it's called Smart Play, Smart Toys, How to Raise a Child with a High PQ. I'm really talking about parents being the child's first big toy, their first mm. guide to play. And uh, to remember that whatever you played with as a child, you want, maybe want to share that with your own child or with your grandchild. So everyone can have an opportunity to uh, play board games because this is so important, you know, turning off the television and the iPads and all the, the technology and getting back to basics, getting down on the floor and building something, developing creativity. These are the things that we need to do to build strong family relationships. I couldn't agree more, and I think all of us remember those great times around the table playing board games and, uh, you know, in the hours in the, in the, you know, the, the, of amusement and even days with Monopoly, having a Monopoly going for days. Um, exactly. But, you know, what, what made you, uh, and, and the world is a richer place for somebody like you, because, you know, the, everything else in society seems to downplay play. And so for you to be a spokesperson, but how did you get interested in that? Well, it's interesting because I started as a teacher and I, uh, was interested in how children learn through play. And then I was working on my doctorate. I was working with a man who started the first parent toy lending library. You know, we have libraries that loan books, but it, they could be loaning toys, too. <laughs> you know, That's right. Not everyone can afford all the wonderful toys that are available. So toy libraries are very important. And he happened to develop this for Head Start, and I was very interested in how parents learn about child development through play and through toys. And that got me started, and I've stayed with it. I started reviewing products for the classroom first, and there is a whole market in the educational materials. But, you know, we're learning that kids do really well learning chess, learning other games. I mean, you mentioned Monopoly. Mm -hmm. I happen to have a book by a a very um, marvelous expert on games, and it's called Monopoly, Money, and You. And it's a book that takes the Monopoly game, you know, and puts it into the uh, current context of financial. So you can learn a lot <laughs> playing a board game. Absolutely. Um, you know, one, I do want to ask you, um, Daniel Pink, are you familiar with this book, The, the Whole yes. New Mind? Yes. Excellent. And and his his uh, emphasis that one of the skill sets we have to develop in the new millennium is play. Yes, I, I, I've exchanged with him also. Um, I, I, it's just, you know, an area that I think has sort of been dropped by the wayside. Kids were not getting recess. They were not getting the arts and music. I'm sure Elizabeth is concerned about this too and why people who were in the music field feel it's so important to get children involved in music and the arts and theater and understanding um, themselves, you know. And so school gets to be a little top-heavy with testing and a curriculum, but it doesn't include recess. 
And kids need a balance between active play and creativity and learning. So that's absolutely. Really and you know, I mean, uh, one of the books that really influenced me along the way in trying to get creative was drawing on the right side of the brain. And once we become aware of the right and left side, so would you talk about that? How play kind of uh, integrates both sides, maybe? Well, what what happens when you're playing is that you're spontaneous. You're developing your inner being, your ability to think creatively, your reaction time. Uh, it's called almost an improvisation. If you notice, children just have fun. They try things out. They aren't necessarily uh, having it be very rigid. It's, it's spontaneous. They're exploring. They're trying to find out how things work. And that is the best way to learn because you're really uh, learning through trial and error and experience. And so that's what children really need more of that uh, rather than anything rote or, you know, flashcards the way we use it. Exactly. You know, one, I just, I forget the individual's name, but it's an Indian, uh, phys- um, was a theoretical physicist who left theoretical physics physics to get into the educational field and he just I just saw a fantastic lecture that he did a video of it where he talked about we've built a world where children can educate themselves and he introduced computers into the uh, countryside of India and just left them alone and but the important thing was not so much that the computer but the model that developed was that the children worked in groups of five or six and helped each other so when I'm thinking about play when kids you know, do that constructively in a group. I would love you to send me an email with his name on it because I really would like to learn more about what he did in India. But you just touched on something I feel is missing in the classroom, which is developing projects with a group of children working together on on a project that they create and explore. So they are using their reading, their language, their communication, their problem solving, their integrating um each of their abilities and coming together, cooperating, all of those skill building. Uh, if kids don't get to work together in a, a cooperative way in the classroom, where else are they going to get this? You know, Can if a child doesn't have that opportunity to do this. I mean, it happens with jazz. You know, music musicians come together and play together, uh, but they don't do this often in the classroom. And and he was exactly how I believe has been missing in the classroom. I, when you mentioned that, developing, leaving them alone, letting them figure out how to solve the problem. Um, can Absolutely. I just Go jump ahead. in here. This is Patricia. Um, two things. First of all, when I was young, uh, my family didn't have a whole lot of money for quote-unquote frivolous things, but we were given the freedom to create our own toys, which was even better than my parents going out and buying us toys. So I made my own doll furniture. I made my own doll clothes. Um, I made my own board games. And that's something, uh, as you said, would be a wonderful project for the family or for the school, is for the classroom or the family to create a new board game themselves. Yeah. I have to tell you, I also, as a child, made clothespin dolls, made my own doll houses. And I think one of the most important toys there is a cardboard box. 
and it actually is, <laughs> you know, being able to create something new, a puppet show, a pu- you know, puppet theater out of a cardboard box. A time oh, machine. Like this. Actually, I went to the Portland Children's Museum uh, not too long ago, and there was a whole room dedicated to cardboard creativity, and parents and kids were in there making things, just as you said. I thought, this is what every children's museum should have. The Boston Children's Museum should have a place where kids can just come in and make things out of cardboard. Well, how many of us have given a gift to a child? And they kind of like play with it for two minutes, but then end up playing with the box. Exactly. (laughs) I feel that it's so strong. There's some basic toys like sticks, like, you know, kids who don't have a lot of toys use their imagination. And so you can do a lot with boxes and sticks and and clothespins and found materials. And I try to encourage parents to have a creativity box filled with, you know, magazines and papers and all sorts of things that might look like junk, but the kids have a wonderful time creating something new. Absolutely. So not have to be purchased or bought in a, in a toy store. You can do an awful lot, like making your, your own board games. Actually, there was Absolutely. a toy company, a, a game company, that uh, uh, um, encouraged children to create their own board games, and then uh, several of them actually won um, a college scholarships based on the games that they created. One was a five-year-old, and he got wow. a scholarship. I mean, it's amazing wow. how they can come up with their own imagination and come up with solutions. I, well, one I of the would things just that, like to... Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, oh, no. I just go wanted ahead. to mention another thing. This is Liz, um, that I think um, playing outside, too, is just another great thing that's, Unfortunately, not an option for many of the children in our cities to go freely play outside the way that I did when I was growing up. But I just think playing outside opens up so many things for the imagination, even just sitting on the ground and playing in the dirt or playing in the sand and creating creating little worlds there. Um, I totally agree with you. And there's a man named Richard Love, L-O-U-V, who wrote a book called The Last Child in the Woods. And he's developing a whole movement of trying to get kids out of doors and playing in nature. Um, but what you just reminded me is that these are the kinds of experiences kids don't get to experience unless we can create adventure playgrounds um, at, at places where they can make a mess and, you know, play in the mud and water and so on. Oh, totally. Preschool, but then... As kids get older, they get away from those kinds of experiences, and they and they need them. So, uh, we also need to find more innovative ways for school playgrounds to be more interesting than they are right now. Absolutely, there's a, a yeah. movement of school gardens, which is another wonderful. Aspect oh, of um, yeah, yeah, boy, exactly, exactly. How things grow. You know, one of the criteria, I think, in the industry, is it play value or play quotient or, uh, you know, what is that criteria that you use okay. to well, determine whether... Talk Go about ahead. the toy having play value. You know, we mentioned a few toys so far. You know, the cardboard box has unlimited play value because it depends on the imagination. Uh, blocks have unlimited play value because kids can make whatever they want to out of blocks. Uh, construction toys allow again, the creativity, open-ended, 
an unlimited amount of time that kids can develop their thinking, their own imagination, and it can be whatever they want it to be. So that's very important, you know, just as they draw pictures um, and it's what they're coming out of their own creativity. Uh, so we talk about, we attribute um, play value to a toy, that a puppet can, again, be an unlimited, um, open-ended toy. Um, but I coined the expression play quotient, PQ, because we know about IQ, and we know about EQ, the emotional quotient. But I had never um, had anyone express the idea of the play quotient and what I conceptualized it as the ability for us to be playful and the ability to be spontaneous and to use our imagination. And how we measure that is basically irrelevant. <laughs> it's important, I don't think, about <laughs> measuring today. I, I hope that someday a Ph.D. will develop a study you know, that will measure what PQ is, but I haven't had time to do that because I'm so busy playing with toys. Um, <laughs> we just looked at the best green products. I'm very interested. It's eight years that I've been looking at products that help children to either discover the environment, learn about eco-friendly um, uh, products, and information about the whole idea of protecting the environment. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very important area, as you know, because uh, our global warming issues, the, the hots and the colds and the climate and all of these things are issues that children are concerned about. So I was trying to identify innovative toy companies that are also using materials that are creative. Uh, blue orange toys, uh, plants two trees for every toy, uh, every toy tree that they use for their toys, their games. Uh, another one uses recycled milk containers and uses the uh, material to, to create new products out of this, uh, these molds. And they're fabulous products. Uh, it's green toys. And so on. Well, we've just identified a whole series of green toys. And when I look at classic toys, what are the wonderful toys that, you know, we played with as children or have been reinvented and improved, uh, but they're based on a classic principle. And then uh, over the summer I'll be looking at vacation products, things that kids can play with after school and on trips. You know, when they go in the car, everything doesn't have to be, the electronic phones, although I think what happens is kids get really addicted to these things, and you almost can't pry them away from from the That's electronic. True. But they need time to play games, and whether it be a card game or a board game, uh, something like jacks, something that they haven't ever had an experience with. And I'd love parents to go to the toy store looking for some of the toys they played with as children and or something they've always wanted to play with, like Scrabble or something, and, and bring it home and, you know, turn off the TV and just uh, have some time together to play. And how so about, absolutely. How about instruments as a kind of toy or a tool for creativity? Kids could learn how to write their own songs. It's a group activity. They could sing together uh, old songs, new songs, make up their make up you know their own songs. 
I, I'm all for stretching kids' creativity and imaginations, and an instrument is an open-ended toy. Well, I love that you are doing this because I have to tell you, I went to the senior center uh, about a month ago, and we spent a whole afternoon singing songs. And there was a wonderful man who came with a guitar, and he was very talented. He could, could you know, play anything. And everyone had such a good time just spending the afternoon singing songs together. And it was just a wonderful experience. Well, kids need that in the classroom. They need it at home. It's something you can do in the car. And, um, you know, singing is such an important experience. And I consider that part of play. Um, music and whether you listen to it or sing or create music, you know, this is all part of play. On a related subject, we've had a controversy in Long Island, on Long Island lately. Um, the local principal recently canceled the annual kindergartners' school play because uh, she oh. thought we needed to prepare these kindergartners for college. Oh my goodness! And that school play was frivolous. These are kinder these are kindergartners. With what kindergartners need, and that's why I mentioned earlier about the overstressing of testing. Uh, and taking away the joy of learning. Uh, the Children learn so much through drama and through interacting, learning how to express themselves and learning with playing with each other and being part of a, a, a performance is a wonderful experience. And I remember vividly some of the wonderful experiences I had as a child in elementary school um, in, in that kind of uh, experience. So, you know, I've been in the classroom, and I've been with principals who have been inspiring and really good administrators, and there are others who are really not and should not be. (laughs) Very sad because I grew up in Queens and went to Queens College and studied education there, and somehow the types of learning that I had at Queens College when I was there seems to have not permeated over to Long Island or it's the same. So if you'd like to send me uh, an email with the principal's name, I will be very happy to uh, uh, share insights about how important theater is and experiencing it. There's a whole high school in New York that's called, you know, arts and the theater arts, uh, the high school of, of music and performing. You know, it's it's something you should not take away from children. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I I have performed in this school every year. Um, I do a, actually a China workshop for the kindergartners. And in their defense, in the uh, administration's defense, they're trying to follow Common Core curriculum guidelines, you know, testing, testing, uh, preparing the kids for reading, preparing the kids for, for testing. What I'd like your opinion of Common Core. Well, you see, there's rigidity, and then there's good common sense, and there's child development principles. And sometimes these are at odds with each other. You know, what we know about children is they should not be sitting for long periods of time when they are in preschool and kindergarten. They need to move. They, you know, there's, there are activities that they have to get involved in. Um, they can play games. They can learn a lot through activity as well. Uh, so a core is very much like No Child Left Behind, 
this over over stressing testing, and it's almost as if um, the testing companies have taken over the school system. And it's very much the way you know we look at um, what children are eating. You know, it's not necessarily healthy. Um, they're not necessarily having fruits and vegetables and healthy foods. Uh, so that has to change too. So sometimes what the system does uh, is not healthy or in the best interest for mental health or learning, well, and it becomes uh, rigid and becomes a core instead of what's good for kids. And, and what is your opinion then, if we are, if the United States is falling behind Japan and Germany and a lot of these other places? Um, academically, you know, in the sciences and in math and uh, other uh, academics, what, in, in your opinion, is a way, um, an alternative way to Common Core to, to raise the level of our teaching and our learning um, and our standards? Right. Well, you know, there are really some very, very interesting things to do, which is to provide children with the opportunities to experience science, if they go to the science museum, if they have hands-on science experiences so they understand what it is, because they're not going to get it just from a textbook, and they're not going to get it in testing. They have to have hands-on experiences. You've got to set up projects that allow kids to experience these things. We have in San Francisco the Exploratorium, and the place is packed with children who love science, who love the opportunity to experience the hands-on activities that are going on there, and it's a model for learning science. Well, the same thing is true when you talk about theater and doing dramatics. The child is learning language. They're learning to communicate. They're learning to cooperate. They're learning all kinds of things. And I don't think our kids can be compared to other countries in in an intelligent way because the values are different, the way Mm -hmm. things are structured is different. And I think we need to keep, instead of the child competing against each other, they need to see they're growing as individuals. I would love to mention one thing. Um, This is Liz. I, I work in a number of classrooms uh, in the Boston Public Schools, and I think a lot of a lot of what's needed is making sure that the teachers are trained to teach creatively. Exactly. I'm in one kindergarten classroom where I just love what the teacher does in this classroom. They have set up their whole dramatic play area to be a pizza parlor. And they have ways in this pizza parlor for the children to learn about writing, to learn about math, you know, because they're having to divide their pizzas into, you know, how many pieces are going to be in this pizza. And And they're learning about food, healthy food. They have have to count the toppings. (laughs) That's right. And so they're, they're learning all of these things as they're playing, Right. Which is so much more engaging for the children than just, you know, sit at your desk and, you know, draw a picture of a circle and divide it into eight exactly. pieces. You know, suddenly exactly. it's a pizza. That, it's that's something what we're that's talking really about. Thrilling. It's integrating 
the activity, the principles, and all of this coming together so the child can be engaged. That's what learning is all about. That's what John Dewey, was, the basic principles of John Dewey, was hands-on. So I sure. totally agree. Right. That, that was a, and you can see the difference. You can feel the difference in that classroom as opposed to another classroom where there's more rigidity. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And Patricia, to come back to you, in, as far as music, it would be like teaching scores and writing and, and all of the theory without the kid ever touching an instrument. Exactly. And then also, um, because schools now are cutting back on the arts and funding for the arts and, uh, you know, assembly concerts and workshops like that, what we do when we go in there is even more important now because the kids aren't getting it. I know in California, um, they, they don't have arts and music anymore. So what we have to do as performers that work in the schools, that's my primary focus, is to make sure that my shows are very not only educational but highly interactive. So the kids no, are... There needs to be an integration between musicians and artists, creative people coming into the schools and exactly. sharing their expertise with the classroom teachers and with the children. Exactly. And, you know, that's something that needs to happen in the, in the community and, and so on, and, and being able to share. We used to have, you know, the visiting community workers, you know, the firemen would come in and talk about what they do or something. But it's more important that the kids have these experiences directly with musicians and creative people that can come in and help them. I think I can, um, I have uh, two Russian uh, um, yeah, uh, stepchildren, and I brought them here to the United States when they were, one was five and one was eight, and brought them in a very small, a very great, I thought a great school, a little uh, parochial school uh, here in South Boston that ha had only about, I don't know, 10 to 12 kids per class, and the principal would stand on the stairs and call each kid by name, and I, I thought I was doing these kids such a great favor. Well, they said to me, and they had only been, one had only been to preschool and the other one had been a couple of years in Russian school, said, I said, don't you like this school? I said, no. They said, because we sit all day. Because in Russia, you take science or math or whatever or language, and then you go take a dance class. And then you come back to whatever, one of the t disciplines, and then you go to recess. And then you come back and you go take another discipline, and then you go to art class. So throughout mm -hmm. the day is exactly what you, the model that you described earlier, uh, exactly. instruction it, and it, then movement. It, it, that is exactly the way child development needs to be. You've got to have balance. You know, it's not healthy for any of us to sit at a computer all day. We've got to get up and exercise. Um, it, it's, it's required. And so that's why I mentioned earlier the importance of play as part of our lives. Um, we need to be playful teachers and parents and in work. You know, there's there's many ways that you can develop cooperation, and I think that's what the difference is in Europe. Also, kids are much more open to um, the balance is is happening in uh, in other schools. I'm not sure if their their testing is the same, if they're testing for the same uh, skills that we have here. And so on. So I'm not sure everything's exactly the same, but the difference is well, that there's much it, more it, activity going on in, in the other absolutely. schools. Absolutely. 
And 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 never mind. Just the value system you talk about. When uh, they came here, when they went to school, they went with two huge bouquets of flowers because that's the tradition in Russia. Because that's the teacher wonderful. is honored How are they doing and respected. Now? Um, How are they doing oh, now? Oh well, well, they went back to um, because my wife just said, "I'm not educating them here. I'm sending them back to Russia to be educated." And so they went back and. Um, Helena, the oldest, who is now graduating, came here last year. She wanted to do to complete her last two years in uh, America in high school. So she had only completed nine years in Russia. When I went to the school, they said, what year is she in? I knew that they were so far ahead that I put her in the 11th grade. So I really, in essence, skipped a, a grade for her. Within three weeks, the, uh, she was laughing at the math uh, um, curriculum. And uh, I said, what are you laughing at? She said, and I had just received an email, coincidentally, from the, the math teacher introducing herself to me. And I said, well, we've got a problem with Paulina because she's laughing at your class. She said, why? I said, because she said she had it. Already had everything you have, and she was going to stay in the class to get an A. And I said, No, you're not. So she says, I'll, I'll advance her from uh, algebra to pre-calc. Well, that lasted a week, and Paulina was still laughing. So Paulina, who should have been a sophomore, was put in the senior calculus class. Okay, wow. and then within the first uh, quarter, she was the number one student in the thing, and she just received a full scholarship to Suffolk University for a full complete ride based on academics so that's that's the difference absolutely wonderful congratulations <laughs> well thank you and I mean and, but again and she laughs at the supposed level of difficulty here now she wanted to come to American University she likes the American style of living she feels that she has a better future here but there is a uh, if you want to just take an anecdotal a case there it is. I mean, this kid comes in and just kind of laughs at the whole system, skips a grade, and then graduates to the point where she's, you know, um, you know, gets a, a free full ride on based on totally based on scholarship in the United States. Tom, um, I, I think this is a good time to mention the phone number if callers want oh, to call yeah. in. Oh yeah. Thank you, Patricia. It's uh, 347-996-3903. Also a good time for everybody to give their websites. Uh, uh, Dr. Toy, you want to do that oh, first? Thank you so much, Tom. That's great. Uh, it's drtoy, D-R-T-O-Y.com. We were the first to put our website up on toys, and when I started, no one knew what links were or home pages or anything. It was just so funny how we've changed in such a short period of time. I mean, relatively, Absolutely. 10 years. Absolutely. So, Any other thing toy, that you want to plug in terms of getting in touch with you? posted our best green products on Dr. Toy's Guide. And I, I'm open to any of you getting in touch with me at any time with any suggestions as to products that you know about. If you've got uh, new uh, audio tape, um, any kind of new product that you think uh, is really helpful for children, we, we are open to all sorts of learning materials, play materials, um, things that help kids physically, mentally, and socially. And how do they get in touch with you, Dr. Toy? Uh, to Dr. Toy at drtoy.com. Great. D-R-T-O-Y at drtoy.com. 
Sounds That's great. Catherine Dines, she got in touch with me about the products. and we, We're always trying to find something innovative and something you can't find necessarily uh, easily, uh, something that uh, sometimes is challenging because it's the first time the product's available. So if you see or hear about anything that you think is worthy of recognition, I'd love to know about it. Terrific. Great. We'll do that. And then, um, Patricia, why don't you give your site, please? Oh, it's just my name, Patricia, P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A. Last name is she, S-H-I-H, all lowercase, all one word, dot com. Great. And Liz? Yeah, my website is antelopedance.com because one of the first songs that I wrote was called Do the Antelope Dance. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, you can go to my web, website, antelopedance.com, and that's uh, you'll find all a lot of information about not only about my music but about connections between music and early literacy. That's one of my big things is, is working with children on early literacy skills through music. And I'd like to ask Dr. Toy, too, are you familiar with the Children's Music Network? Uh, I have heard about it. I'm not completely up date on it, so I would love some information about it and connect me to them. Uh, we were doing a, a great, um, a lot of connecting on services and organizations and so on, so I'd really like to be able to do that again. Uh, well, could, could I, Tom, could I put a... About it and sure, I absolutely. Okay, well, I'd like to, I'd like to send Dr. talking to each of you because you... Um, have different perspectives, but as it turns out, we're, we're always looking at uh, similar issues um, in the same way that uh, the children need balance in their lives. They need the arts. They need music, uh, play, and integrating all of that into their lives every day for the, for the maximum development. Yes, absolutely. So I'd like to tell Dr. Toy and your listeners about the Children's Music Network. Uh, you can learn all about it on the website, which is simply CMN for Children's Music Network, online.org. That's all lowercase, all one word, CMNonline.org. And Dr. Toy, I think you would be perfect to come. Uh, are you in, are you in uh, New York? Oh, no, no, I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, that's a little far. Well, you know what? Very we early have, in the morning for me. <laughs> we actually have uh, annual conferences that travel from the East Coast to the West Coast to the Midwest. And last year it was in Los Gatos not too far from you, and so in two more years it's going to be there again, and we would love to have you come to our conference. Oh, I would I, love to. If the it's fit would be. Tacos, I will be there in a minute. It's a lovely area. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. Um, I think we have a lot in common. We're all, like you said, we're all interested in the welfare and the well-being of children and their growth and their uh, positive role models and um, you know, uh, good things for children and healthy things for children. Exactly, and it's having um, more in learning that involves music because it's a lifetime passion. You know, Absolutely. I remember listening to Leonard Bernstein uh, explain music, you know, at City Center. And it stayed with me my whole life, you know. It's something that you just don't uh, understand. Sometimes teachers forget how important it is to expose children to music and to the arts and to the 
many modalities, and there's no one way to for children to learn. There's um, the whole idea of, of multiple intelligence and learning through many different channels. And so some children need to hear they can learn math through music. I mean, I know some number of, of, of really wonderful albums that came out just teaching math through, through music and teaching language through music, teaching early literacy through music. Absolutely. We have a case here in Boston. I don't, uh, Dr. Toy, you must have heard of Fable Vision. Uh, Peter Reynolds, who's written many, many books, uh, wrote the book called The Dot. He used to be the head of Rio. Uh huh. And, um, well, he um, he began to. He, they were they're twins, Peter and Paul Reynolds, and the story, the legend, because they are such an influence on in the children's field uh, in terms of they design games for MIT and uh, you know animation, and they're just leaders in ed, in education and, and especially with technology today and integrating both. Oh, well, different but, Peter Reynolds. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This well, this Peter Reynolds. He, he also wrote Ish. He wrote The Dot. And it's interesting, his, the, oh, no, um, the Dot. Okay, that's fabulous. Yeah, The, the Dot is a book about um, a teacher trying to teach art. And the, the child says, I can't uh, draw. And it says, okay, just draw an, a dot. Right. And, you know, and, and with that dot, the dot becomes more dots, becomes and then t- and matures into this gorgeous artwork but the legend is is that they now i mean have an amazing business and a major leaders in the industry and uh peter was doodling in a math class and the math teacher said what are you doing and he said i'm doodling and he showed him things says well i'll tell you what i want you to do i want you to take this lesson and i want you to uh, draw enough illustrations so that we can animate it and that's what they did and that was that was so there was a teacher who saw a talent within a child, and instead yes. of the usual, <laughs> you know, suppressing that and, you know, creating discipline and getting upset because uh, the child wasn't paying attention to his particular class, integrated that skill, exactly. and now exactly. you, you, everybody benefits. Oh, that's, that's a really good, important story, and it very much illustrates what we've been talking about. Right. I think that everybody, or I hope that everybody remembers at least one teacher that made a huge difference in their lives that might have inspired them, turned them on to a particular subject. Um, you know, I think a good teacher can light a fire, just like a good toy can. You know, if you yeah. have a very interesting toy or, um, you know, a teacher that is particularly responsive or sensitive, you know, a child is so, is so impressionable you know, and can get, can get bent one way or the other. And I know teachers that have stomped on children's um, interests, oh. blooming interests, and killed it forever. Oh. And other oh. people, It's very interesting. John, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's son, uh, John Wright, was with him on many travels, and he created Lincoln Logs. This, this is his son. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's some really interesting aspects of learning that happens when uh, I've met architects who told me that playing with Lego or erector sets encouraged them as children to think about architecture. When you work in a science kit, um, there's some wonderful science kits that are available. It opens up your experience to, to science. When the teacher brings music into the classroom, you are 
you know, this may you may find your voice. We need to recognize the talents of children and build on them. And it happens best through play, but it happens through many different forms. So, and recognizing the talent and not squelching it. Exactly. Encouraging it. Exactly. And how we learn, I, um, one of the stories, I speak to inner city schools in a program called If They Can, if they can Do It, So Can I. And I had the curse slash blessing, I call it, of, um, and I now now I'm, I'm bold enough to say that I had a terminal disease because I had osteosarcoma at the age of 13, and there was only a 5% chance uh, at the, in those days because there was no chemotherapy, et cetera, of living. So, you know, I, was, I explained to a class this week, I said, so that if 100 kids went into the hospital with uh, osteosarcoma, only five would come out, and I was one of those five. And I tell, we've told the story before. With, All of yeah, so I would, yeah, I tell the story about how I, I rode a bicycle, and I, um, and I was told that I wouldn't be able to do that. So I asked this one particular class, and I said to them, um, so I said, I had to learn myself. I had to teach myself how to ride the bicycle with one leg. I said, has anybody here ever had to teach themselves something? And this little gal stepped up, and she said, yes, she says, I taught myself how to walk. And I said to her, oh, I said, so isn't that great that you were sick or you had an accident and you taught yourself how to walk? And she looked at me and said, no, the first time. (laughs) 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 And the teacher, and I I would have loved to have had a a camera on my face with the look of just my mouth opened up and I stared. And as I tried to register, I said, this kid is a genius. She knows about innate intelligence. She knows about the fact that the only time you're going to walk is when you're ready to walk, and there's something in you that makes you walk. Exactly. And and I learned so much, and I think, you know, the fact that the the criteria, when I speak to teachers, I ask them, number one, to show me by... By, by hand or fingers, how many great teachers they had in life. And I, before they're, as they're raising their hands, I say, no, I know the answer, and it's never more than one hand, and it's never more than three, three or four fingers. And once in a while, I get a wise guy who puts up two hands, and then I just say to them, you either were in a tiny community or you went to a private school, and then they drop their hands. <laughs> but I ask, what is the criteria for a great teacher? How did you know they were great, or why did you call them great? And they all come back with, they cared. And then I asked, well, how do you know they cared? And they said, they listened. Yes. And I said, isn't it amazing in, an, in a field where you're supposed to impart wisdom, you're supposed to speak, blah, 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 that the great ones stand out because they cared and because they listened? Exactly. You know? And that's you know? really and I think, the message that needs to be um, in teacher training and in workshops and in participating. But this is true for parents, too. You know, what's good right. for teachers, it's important for parents because the parent is the child's first teacher. And the parents, you know, we don't have training for being parents. You go through high school and college, <laughs> you train in your fields, but you don't learn how to be a parent. And I think that's really missing in our society. We need to have opportunities in high school for kids to learn child development, learn how important it is to... Um, raise a child and what goes into being a parent. And it's a very big job. It's a big responsibility. And it's not just about feeding and, and uh, you know, getting them to school on time. It's really all of the kinds of things we've been talking about. 
Dr. Toy, uh, that's your next book. <laughs> that's your next book, how, how to um, – the owner's manual for, ch- uh, for parents. Well, <laughs> I, I actually wrote a book a number of years ago called The Whole Child, and it was a source book for parents. And I really realized at the time while I was putting that book together was everything you needed to know from pregnancy – uh, being healthy in pregnancy. I mean, who? How many times parents, you know, do the wrong thing during pregnancy in terms oh, of diet, smoking, yeah. and mm-hmm. alcohol, or whatever, and you do damage to yourself and to your unborn baby. So, uh, through that period uh, on to raising your child to age twelve. And when I finished that book, then I wrote my next book on toys. And I, um, I just have had this pet peeve uh, all these years that I felt. Uh, we need to bring together the basic principles we've basically been talking about today, um, the importance of learning and how important it is to listen to children and to respect them and to allow them to discover what their talents are and to encourage them. And parents need to have those abilities and, and to support them. And... Um, you know, Tom, you talked about it in terms of the children that you, you know, were, were fortunate to be able to give them uh, just exactly what they needed. And um, right. they thrived under, uh, you know, you, it's, it's interesting that you observed how they thrived under a system that allowed them the balance in their lives. So when we talk exactly. about play, it's about balance and everything gets integrated into it. It's not just sitting, you know, being good. <laughs> right, and and the important and, and as you said throughout all of this program, you talked you talked about the different uh, cultures and the different value system, and in the European and you know especially in the Russian, it's all about extended family. It's all about a support system. It's all about community, and it takes you know it takes a, it goes back to that. And I'd like to get your take on this. It takes a village to raise a child. Absolutely. You can't do it without without everybody. And, uh, right. and, and you know, and uh, the, I guess the question I still, you know, we it's great. I mean, we have this program and we talk about the importance of play because we all we all feel that. And but I think the problem is is that it's it's dismissed. Play is dismissed. So I mean, you have certainly been, you know, on the um, a, 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 a true spokesperson for it. Do you think you've made an impact in, in getting it across to society and to parents and to educators that this is not to be dismissed, but that it's it's extremely important? Well, I think that what's interesting is that there's a convergence going on, as far as I can tell among many different aspects right now. The research is showing this. People like Dr. Stuart Brown has been developing research that's coming together. He developed a book on on research and play. Um, And this is the broad context of play itself, you know, the the full gamut. Uh, And uh, there are more organizations involved in recreation and play there's an international play association. There are uh, PlayWorks is doing a great job in developing uh, recreation uh, and, and developing trainers uh, to get out and, and work with kids. 
uh, this is a whole area that has not been fully explored. So I'm encouraged because over the years, I think keeping, I've been pushing for this for 30 years and talking about this all over the country, um, how important play is. There's a basic principles, I think, of finally catching on with different groups. And uh, I, I keep trying to network between these different groups so that they are aware of each other. Um, I belong to the International uh, Toy Research Association, um, the, uh, the Association for the Study of Play. That's another group. So there are a lot of people at colleges and universities doing research, there are a lot of people doing practical things, but what you've each touched on is that principal in Long Island who is not realizing that the most important thing that he can do is support the play that that child, the, the group of children in kindergarten are, are doing, not to dismiss it, because exactly. that may be the one way that half of those children can excel. Um, they're not exactly. all going to do well on math, or they're not all going to do exactly. well on you know, But they will excel in front of their parents and their peers because they have great voices or they can dance or they can be part of a, of a for the first time, a team. And understand when we talk about raising a community, you know, it has to happen somewhere, and it happens with projects and with activities. So exactly. these are the things that we are all coming from. We seem to be, you know, spread out across the country and through many years of experience, and we're all sharing the same basic principles. We performed at a school in uh, the San Francisco area last fall, and not only – a public school. And, and not only did these kids not have any art or music in their school, but they had no P.E., I mean, talk about sucking the play out of education. Oh. It, uh, it was horrible. Oh. And, and, uh, well, what are we doing to children? I mean, it, it, we're giving them a very dismal life. And it's yes, you not are. Fun. There's it's no not joy. Laughing. They're not having a good time. They're not experiencing. No joy. You know, I speak, again, I speak. I was in a classroom. What to have about school? <laughs> oh, I was in, in the last two classrooms I visited in the inner city here in Boston. It, it I mean, it just reminded me of prison. I mean, they, they, they filed into the room. They was, uh, if you know, there were already children sitting. And, and this is one of the things that this uh, Indian educator t uh, talked about. He said that, you know, <laughs> he really uncovered some amazing truth. He says the educational system was set up to, 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 to provide workers for factories that had individuals in little uh, sitting in rows or sitting uh, in, you know, as stenographers or whatever, sitting alone doing one task. And then, of course, we saw that uh, evolve to where there were cubicles. And now the great corporations are, are not doing that, that there are group think, that there are groups problem solving. And he says, so the whole system is archaic. And you, when I go in, I can see it, that these kids are forced to sit in a little tiny desk. Sometimes now the kids are so big anyway that the seats are, are, are not adequate for the, the space that the child requires. And it's, it's a system where one person is speaking and the entire class is supposed to absorb it. And I just want to throw out, I mean, I, I w went into a classroom here in Boston, and Liz and I talked about it this week, is a program called La S Sistema. Are you familiar with it, Dr. Toy? No. 
La Sistema was created in Venezuela by a Venezuelan economist who wanted to go into the um, barrios, into the slums, where there was uh, just ridiculous amounts of crime and poverty, etc. And he, and again, this fits into everything that you've, everybody has added to the conversation today. That the first instrument that the children had was a paper mache instrument that they had to create themselves, and then they started to form uh, symphonies, little symphonies within each barrio. And what happened was the crime rate went down. The children started to excel. They started to move out of the barrios. They moved into oh, no, uh, I'm better. Talking about the music program. Yes, that's right. Yes. So, well, that program was on on the program Sunday morning on CBS, not long ago, and that's where I saw it. It's fantastic. Yes. It's fantastic. It totally transformed the the entire country. Exactly. It, there's a school here, and it was the first time I and Liz and I talked. Now, Liz, have you been inside the school? I have not, but it's a it's a wonderful school called the Conservatory Lab Charter School, and all the children um, learn to play the violin very early on, and music is integrated into all of their lessons um, as they go through their school day. There's music in all of it. And you not know, only music, but it go breaks ahead. my heart to hear this that it happens in a one charter school instead of yep. across the entire system. Exactly. Right. But every single classroom, the program that, that Tom mentioned, in those classrooms where those children are sitting still all day listening and their bodies are hurting, there are musicians within that group. And it's just yep. tragic that we're squeezing that creativity out of the children. Absolutely. And I, in, in the classrooms, it was the first time I saw open classrooms where there may be 20 kids in the class, but there were four tables with five kids around each class where they looked at each other, they integrated with each other, they cooperated with each other. I was telling Liz that they each class prints a book. They actually come away with a book in which each child had their drawings. I mean, it, it's, and, and the stuff is on a level that they are taught in the, in the preschool part of it. They're taught people like Picasso and, um, and Van Gogh, etc. And when you see the drawings that the children come forward with, it mirrors that great artist, and, and the child will describe why they decided to paint in Van Gogh's manner or in Picasso's manner or even Rembrandt's manner. And, so, and these are preschoolers in the poetry books, um, and then they have, have a, a, a concert every year at the Strand Theater here in, in Boston. So, I mean, it's the, the, the quintessence of what we would love to see all education be. And they not only excel in the arts, but they, these children... These children can't wait to get to school, and they wait. To, they hate to leave school. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the values of art and one of the values of play is that it, it like again, it's like a good teacher, it lights a fire under a child instead of stomping on them. Um, exactly. But at, and I'm going to have to say goodbye to everybody, Stephen and I. Well, have... Patricia, thank you so much. I, this is I. Um, I don't know, Toy, Doctor Toy, have you got plans to move forward and move on here, or? I think yes, we've had a group. I, I, I just enjoyed, Patricia, thank you so much for sharing. I've just enjoyed our conversation this morning. I'm looking forward to staying in contact with each of you in whatever ways we can and just have a wonderful, playful weekend. 
Well, uh, you yes, have, thank you. We're just going. But thank you, you, you so much. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, thank you. And I'm going to play one of Liz's uh, songs right now. And but thank you, Doctor Toy. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you. Liz, you want to hang on for a second, and we'll sure. I'll, I'll stay on a little bit longer. But it's great to talk to you all, and uh, I would hope to see you all again. Thank you. Yeah, bye. well, let's, we'll have to do this again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Okay, and this is Dr. Knickerbocker. Hey, Dr. Knickerbocker, number nine. It's a great day and I'm feeling fine. Oh, let's feel the rhythm in our hips, our hips. Let's feel the rhythm in our hips. Hey, Dr. Knickerbocker, number eight, hurry up if you're running late. Oh, let's feel the rhythm in our legs, our legs. Let's feel the rhythm in our legs. Hey, Dr. Knickerbocker, number seven, sun's coming up and I'm in heaven. Oh, let's feel the rhythm in our hands, our hands. Let's feel the rhythm in our hands. Hey, Dr. Knickerbocker, number six, I've got a red wagon that I need to fix, so let's feel the rhythm in our elbows, let's feel the rhythm in our Knickerbocker number five, the bees are buzzing all around the hive. Oh, let's feel the rhythm in our fingers. Let's feel the rhythm in our fingers. Hey, Dr. Knickerbocker number four, you want to come in, just open the door. Let's feel the rhythm in our heads, our heads. Let's feel the rhythm in our heads. Hey, Dr. Knickerbocker, number three, oh, you and me, we're gonna climb a tree, oh, let's feel the rhythm in our knees, our knees, let's feel the rhythm in our knees. Hey, Dr. Knickerbocker, number two, I found my sock, but I lost my shoe, oh, let's feel the rhythm in our feet, our feet, let's feel the rhythm in our feet. Dr. Knickerbocker number one, singing with you is so much fun. Oh, let's feel the rhythm all over. Let's feel the rhythm all over. Let's feel the rhythm all over. Well, thanks, Tom, for playing that song. You know, it's funny. I have uh, sung that song several times this week with children in different school settings, and and it's just 
fun to see the joy that they have in in doing that song which of course has counting in it and it has rhyming it has sort of all the basic literacy elements but you're also standing up moving your body around and and having fun and dancing with your classmates and uh it's just a you know it's the epitome of learning through something that's really joyful and really playful well, I think it encapsulated everything we were talking about today, and I had no idea. I listened to a par- portion of it, but I had no idea that it would would su- summarize everything that was said. Yes, yeah. Well, it was it was really great to participate in the discussion today. I I learned so much from talking with uh, with Dr. Toy and and um, and also hearing from my good friends Patricia and Stephen. Um, there's just some some great things going on out there, um, and it, it well, gives and me you hope know, I, for the future I have, for our uh, kids. Exactly, wasn't that an inspirational talk? And uh, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Enzo Cantalini has just joined us. Enzo, you want? I know you have to go in a minute, Liz, but I got a couple of more questions for you. Is that okay? Sure. Okay, Enzo, are you there? Oh no, he we lost him, but uh, maybe he'll call back. So, <laughs> first of all. I remember Knickerbocker, but it wasn't associated with, uh, well, you know, I guess there are some characters that came out of England with the name Knickerbocker, but there was a Knickerbocker beer at one time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how children's songs come out of all kinds of different things. (laughs) You never know where where a children's song might turn up. (laughs) Where did you get the uh, idea? I love it, Knickerbocker. It's just there's something... There's such um, onomatopoeia in there. There's such a uh, yeah. great sounding. Well, that song name. has been around for a while. Uh, if you if you uh, Google that one on YouTube, um, you'll see like the Wiggles, who um, are one of these one of these kids groups that gets a zillion views on YouTube. Um, right. They've got a whole Doctor Knickerbocker number nine on on YouTube. That's Hysterical. Um, and I actually learned it from a guy here in Boston, um, Hugh Hanley, who's a great children's musician in Boston, first taught it to me as like a chant to do with kids. You know, hey, Dr. Knickerbocker, boppity bop, you know. I think it may have yeah, even yeah. been on the Barney TV show, which uh, makes me shudder. I really don't like Barney. Um, but, you know, it's definitely been around in, in various versions, but I, I love my version the best. <laughs> Then did you, so so you adapted it. it it's uh, it's yours in that sense. Yeah, I well I adapted. I wrote that little tune for it, and I I had the concept of the the verses uh, counting down from nine to one, and in fact in classrooms we usually count down to zero and say I'm going to be a superhero, which uh, <laughs> gets a lot of enthusiastic responses. That's great. Well, and where did the um, the uh, bluegrass influence? How did that enter? Oh, just I don't know. I love I love touching on all different musical styles, and and um, actually that that song features an instrument called the banjo lin, <laughs> which is a hybrid really? between a banjo and a mandolin. And uh, my producer Eric Kilburn and I would laugh every time we would get out the banjo lin. Uh, which he played uh, because it's just such a a funny instrument. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Well, but it, it gives um, the song a real a real bluegrass feel. 
Yeah, it's great. And you got got a minute? Because I'd like to play something that with, you might recognize with the banjo. It only takes a minute here. We, okay. You can recognize it right away. Here we go. Do you know who it is yet? I'm a I'm I'm not sure yet. Okay, hang on, you will. I'm a rambling guy. Almost sounds like Pete Seeger. It's Steve Martin, and he's playing for the Muppets on the Muppet Show. Oh yeah, okay. Oh no. So that banjo does add add the versatile Steve Martin. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, no, that, that's a that's a great, great song. So how many pieces did you have in that when you were recording it? There's something like four or five anyway, right? Pieces of, uh, you Musicians. mean different instruments? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, the funny thing about recording in a studio is, is you can you can play all the instruments yourself. <laughs> right. So that's a lot true. of times you can go in, you can do a little percussion, then you can play a little guitar right. and <laughs> Sing a little harmony right, so, with yourself. And, so, so it was just, just you and he then. It was Eric on that song. I think. Well, and then we had a violinist play on it too. Um, so yeah. yeah, in addition to Eric and me, uh, we had um, a friend of ours playing on the violin there. So um, it, we did have three different musicians. Um, but I came in on a different percussion instrument with every verse. <laughs> so oh, that's that was great. Fun. Yeah, and you know I. It's so funny when you meet a person, like if we had just met at Castle Island, which I'll have to explain to the listeners, is this great spot in Boston that has history and it's just out on the water, et cetera. But then, you, you know, you have, and I think this is one of the things we talked about today with the kids, is you have no idea what kind of t- talents an individual has just by looking at them. And, you know, when, now when I listen to your music, I'm like, wow, that that little lady, that kind of sound can come out of that little lady? <laughs> <laughs> You've got a powerful sound, dear. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Well, fact, I, I enjoy gonna... it, and I enjoy that. I, I love the joy that it brings to the children that I sing with. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. When I go into the Condon School in South Boston, I sometimes feel like a, a minor rock star, you know, as yep. the children stop whatever they're doing and say, Miss Liz, Miss Liz, are you coming yep. to our class today? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Imagine if a, teacher, if a teacher were greeted that way every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the children at this school, I have to say the Condon School is one That's of the true. schools we talk where the children that. are very excited about learning. And yep. uh, it's uh, due in large part to the great teachers there and their wonderful principal, Mrs. Garofalo, who yeah, you're right. has, that has, become a model um, school. has you're created right. a wonderful atmosphere for learning and for inclusion of students with, you know, various um, various uh, learning disabilities and other disabilities. Yep. Um, there's exactly. inclusion of, of 
of everyone in that community uh, at that school, which is just it's just a great thing to see there. Yeah, there are pockets. There are ho- there is hope as we, you know, as we heard today. And uh, absolutely, but I, I'm going to tease you now. But I'm going to do it this uh, in in a, in a way. I'm going to say Catherine Dines sounds like you. Oh well, <laughs> in, that, in that particular song. No, I'm serious. I'm quite serious. I, if I were to play, I think Catherine and you back to back, it would be hard to distinguish who was whom there. Well, that's a great compliment to me because I'm a great admirer of Catherine Dines and her music. Yes, I mean, she, both of you. When I heard it today, when I started to hear you sing, I said, oh, wow. I was, you know, I mean, again, you know, this is a whole new field for me in that the fact that I wasn't a children's entertainer for a while and never really came across across while I was doing, you know, I had a magic show and I just never really doubled or, or whatever with a lot of um sing a songwriter children on that level so i guess we do like ships passing in the night and so now to find it and every time i get an album of somebody's i'm in just shock of like wow you mean all this talent has been out there all along i mean this is yeah and i and i've become a, a real spokesperson a real advocate for for cmn and and all children's musician songwriters telling people you don't understand these people are really good <laughs> yeah well you know it's 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 really something how the children's music field seems to have just exploded in the past i don't know a couple of decades you know i think back in the 80s you kind of had you know two or three people like raffi that everybody listened to and and now there are just so many people out there that are making wonderful, wonderful music for kids. Um, it's just, you know, right here in the Boston area, there's just, you know, hundreds of people that, that are really great musicians that have dedicated their their musicianship to uh, songs for children, which is very yep. exciting. Yep. Can uh, Can we play one more? Can we do this Fragile Earth? Uh, that would be wonderful. I'd love to. I would love to have you play that. Let's let's do it. Oh, 
on that and and you know you can just imagine what a good time those kids were having doing oh these talk about the joy <laughs> now was that the condon school kids um actually that is from my second cd called singing all the way home and um those children um were a group of children that i just gathered together from various places that i knew um but yes on my third album i did have a group of kindergarten students at the condon school uh, my third album, which is called uh, Once Upon a Tune, uh, features students from the Condon School. So okay, now did, um, were they in the were they in the studio with you? I, I'm starting to learn by recording lately, recently. I'm starting to yeah. learn a lot of tricks. Right, so, but they well, were actually the students that sang on um, on this fragile earth actually did go to the studio with me, and we recorded um, a whole group of songs uh, at the studio with them. Uh, but the Condon School students, um, my friend Eric, who is my producer, came to the Condon School and recorded the students in their classroom. Wow, fun, 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 yeah, fun. So. Why don't you give your, your website one more time for those people who are still with us? All right. I'm at www.antelopedance.com. And, uh, again, that uh, is, is one of my first songs called The Antelope Dance. Um, is how I got oh, antelopedance.com. So it's been great to talk with you today, Tom. And yes, so I look great. forward to and seeing you more in person around South yes, Boston. Absolutely. And this is just the first of many, I hope, that we do. Yes, definitely. And uh, definitely. I can't, I can't thank you enough. 
Okay. Well, it was terrific to uh, be with you today and to hear uh, the wise words of Dr. Toy and, of course, to talk yeah, to Patricia and Stephen as well. So I'll okay. talk to you again soon. Thanks again, Liz. And we will. Right. We'll be back soon. Thank you so okay. much. Okay. So long. Farewell. So, all right. So long, listeners. Uh, another great show from Boston and the Bean Top. Bean Town Pals Radio. Here we go.